morning. Morning. Awesome. I think it's in the right spot. Okay. So imagine with me that I have a boiling pot of water. You feel the heat? You feel the bubbles kind of going? And I throw on a frog. What's going to happen? It's going to jump out. Makes sense. You wouldn't want to burn and die. But now imagine that I have a cold pot of water and I put the frog in and he's just swimming around. I saw this the other day. We were raking up our leaves and we had a kid's kiddie pool outside and my boys noticed, oh, there's a froggy in it. And he's just enjoying it, just swimming around. But imagine if all of a sudden now I turned up that pot of water, just slowly. He'd still probably be swimming. And then I started turning it up to eight, nine. All of a sudden it's at 10, the hottest. And now it's boiling. And before the frog knew it, it was toast. This is what I think sometimes happens to us. That we can initially spot a false gospel and say, oh yeah, I know that teacher is false. That prosperity gospel, I don't believe. We can spot other messages that come in and say, I certainly would not be fooled to believe that. And then there's more subtle messages that come in that before we know it, we just kind of absorb we dismiss, we don't realize that it's getting hotter and hotter around us. We don't realize that we're compromising words, phrases. We don't realize we're compromising that gospel truth. And what Paul is showing us today, and that my aim for us is that we go through, that we would not fall into these false gospels, but that we would trust in the pure gospel of Christ, because this alone leads to life. Everything else leads to death. So as we go through this, it's my prayer that we don't just continue to compile more information. Because I think a lot of us know the gospel, and we don't need just more information, but we need to continue to have these truths pierce our heart, that we wouldn't just have a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge of truly treasuring and trusting the gospel, and that we would experience how this changes us so we can be able to spot the red flags around us. So we will unpack this as we go through these three points. The first we'll see Paul's reason for writing this letter in verses 6 and 7. The second, we'll see Paul's reaction to these false gospels in verses 8 and 9. And thirdly, we'll see Paul's motivation for speaking in verse 10. But in order to walk through these verses and not just compile more information, but truly trust in the pure gospel of Christ, we need his help. So let's pray. Sweet Jesus, thank you for your saving grace. Thank you for your word that we know is true and that it alone brings life. Holy Spirit, we need your help to open our eyes to see these truths, to open our ears to hear false messages and distortions of the gospel that we may be believing. And we need your help to cling to what is true and boldly walk in these truths. So Holy Spirit, speaking in and through me, would we experience more of you, Jesus, in the grace that we are covered with. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So it's been a week since we've been together, so I want to briefly recap where we've been. So we saw that Paul is writing this letter to the churches in Galatia, and that this intro was a little atypical, that he didn't intro it like he normally does, but he was already writing, just defending that he is an apostle of the true gospel, and he laid out the gospel for them. That we know 
that these people were believing the gospel, and then somehow <coughs> people came in, distorted the gospel, and they were now believing something else. So as we dive into 6 and 10, we're going to see Paul's reason for writing this. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. <coughs> so we see Paul's reason for writing in verses 6 and 7. But he gets word that the churches in Galatia are deserting God in the purity of the gospel. And he's astonished. This word, quickly deserting and turning from, would strike in the people he was writing to in the Old Testament story. So we don't exactly know how quickly this was happening, but we know that Paul was shocked, and he wanted to recall to them what they were doing. So think back to the children of Israel and leaving slavery in Egypt. Egypt. Here's a paraphrase of Exodus 32. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They were crying out for deliverance. So God sent Moses and called them out of slavery in miraculous ways. They're out and away from Pharaoh when Moses goes up to Sinai to get the law. And as the people were waiting, they build this golden calf and say, this is what saved us out of slavery. And Moses comes down and says, what are you doing? God literally just delivered you, brought you out of slavery, saved you, and you're quickly deserting him. You're turning from what you know to be true. And that's like what Paul is saying here to the Galatians. You are slaves to sin. You are deaf. You saw God do a miracle. He's the one that called you. He's the one that saved you by your grace. And somebody just comes in and twists the gospel, and now you're saying, oh, brilliant, this is what saves us. And Paul wants them to know that there are two significant gospel truths he needs to remind them of, and I think we need to be reminded of, that God is the one that has called them. He is the one that has done this work. And the calling we see here refers to God's effective work to someone who hears the gospel to saving faith. It's one thing to just hear the gospel that Jesus died on the cross to save us, and it's another to be invited in to trust in him as your Lord and Savior. But what Paul is saying here, we can see also in Romans 8.30, that before the foundations of the world, God foreknew you. He would call you and justify you and then glorify you. You wouldn't just listen to the gospel, but a miracle would take your dead heart, and make it alive in Christ. And it's because of the work of Jesus. This is what God did for the Galatians, and this is what he does for us. The second gospel truth Paul's reminding them of, and that we need to be reminded of, is the grace that we have in Christ. We talked about in the fine grace last week, but I think it's important we continue to remind ourselves what this grace is. It is God giving us a free gift we don't deserve. So it's not a free gift, if we say, thanks, but I'm still going to try to earn and work for my salvation. And the gospel grace that the Galatians were given wasn't by their human achievement. It wasn't by their earning, their doing, their adding to their salvation. 
And this is what Paul points out, that the saving work of Christ is a completely free gift that you don't deserve. You can't try and earn it. And when we do, we see the response on in chapters 5, verse 4. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So like the Galatians, by trying to work and earn God's grace and acceptance, we are departing from the true gospel. They are leaving the free gift of grace and turning to something else. And I think a lot of us can know that we're saved by grace alone. And this is what I can fall into, the confessional theology that, yes, I know that I'm justified by faith alone in Jesus, and yet, functionally, I live as I still need to do something. I still need to earn God's approval in the ways that I feel if I miss devotions, I can think God's disappointed in me. Or if I don't do enough in serving him, I can feel less than that I'm not doing enough for the kingdom that, again, God must be disappointed in me. Or the ways that, oh, I, I must be gaining more of his love because I am doing these things. See, God, look at me. You should be proud of me. You should be glad that now I'm on your team because I'm doing these things. And I think that's the difference that Paul is wanting to call them out here. It's by grace that God has called you in, that he has done this work in saving you. And to be able to see what am I confessing and what am I actually believing or just adding on to and saying, yes, I know this to be true, but I also still feel like I need to do these things. And Paul wants them to make known, you're turning to a different gospel, but actually there's not another gospel. Let me make this clear, guys. There is only one true gospel. And I say that boldly because I think sometimes we need to hear it boldly. And this word gospel can become so familiar to us. We had a word study on the word gospel this week. And it is crucial to actually know what the gospel is. Because the only way we can discern what a distortion of the gospel might be is to know really what is true. Because these false gospels are going to be popping up everywhere. And the minute we think, oh, I've identified all the false gospels, now I'm going to be prepared, we're going to realize another one's popping up. Or we're not even realizing one has popped up unless we truly know what the gospel is and are able to discern anything that is going above the line, below the line, something that we're adding to or taking away. I know we spent some time in our discussion groups talking about what these false gospels are. And in point two, I'm going to be um, sharing a little bit more about what these gospels contrary to the true gospel looks like. Um, but first, I really want to get this right, for us to know what the true gospel is. Uh, recently, I was talking to one of my good friends and just even processing with her about this talk. And I told her how like important it is that we know like the gospel master, like, what would you say? What would you say of what the gospel is? And this friend trusts Jesus, loves Jesus, and she found herself stammering. She's like, I know Jesus saved me, and like, I know that's changed my life now, but I don't actually know the words to put into it on how that affects me and what I do and how that changes things. And... I realize a lot of us can be in that place to be able to know the gospel, but how do we actually put it into words? How do we actually communicate it to know it ourselves and to be able to share it with others? Um, Tom Schreiner has a quote that has stuck with me, and it's that the most effective way 
to identify a false gospel, the most effective antidote to false gospels is a head and a heart knowledge of the gospel. So I want to take two minutes and have you turn to the person next to you. Have you shared the gospel? Would you feel comfortable doing that? Why or why not? You can go. <laughs> I, I love hearing all, all of just the bits and pieces of the conversations and realizing, yeah, we need to know this gospel in order to believe it, to spot any distortions, and to then be able to share it with somebody else and to identify what they're believing. And Paul, last week, introduced this gospel to us. And I want to read for us again what he says the gospel is in verses 3 and 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. So why did Paul begin with the gospel, and why do we need to remind ourselves of the gospel? Because it will prepare us for scenarios that Paul mentions at the end of verse 7. We know there are going to be people that come in and trouble us and distort the gospel. And in looking at this section, we don't know exactly who these people were that were troubling the Galatians, and we don't know exactly what the distortion was and what they're believing. But as we get further into the book, we're going to see clearly what it was that the Galatians were believing and who these people were. But we know that Paul gives an extremely strong reaction to these preachers. We see this in verses 8 and 9. In both of these verses, Paul has three parts to the structure. We'll see the preacher, a gospel contrary, and a curse. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul wants them to know it doesn't matter who is preaching the gospel. If it's contrary, that person should be under a curse. Paul has unshakable confidence that the gospel he received and first preached to them is the one true gospel. That that is the only life-giving gospel, and it doesn't change. Even if he would change, even if opinions do, even if a messenger from God comes down, if it's contrary to what was originally preached, it is false, and that should be under a curse. So what, what is the second point that we see Paul repeating? Gospel contrary, which means this false gospel. Paul is saying that as believers, we should be able to identify a false gospel, because as believers called by God, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, and equipped with his word, we have what we need to reject and spot false gospels. Regardless of who says it, what worldly success they have, or influence, everything that is not a true gospel brings a curse. So what does that mean? What is a curse? If you're like me, I read this, and I was like, I know this is a bold statement, but do I actually believe the severity of this? I found myself initially dismissing how strong of a word this is. Paul draws on the Old Testament context where the word means destruction, and right here he has in view final destruction and condemnation, that anybody who proclaims a false gospel 
will experience eternal separation and condemnation. That it is talking about final judgment and that if you're not believing what is true, it leads to death. So Paul is dealing with one particular problem and we are dealing with another. There are numerous false gospels around us. As we just mentioned, they're coming up everywhere, but we notice that generally they fall underneath two umbrellas. The first are the false gospels the world gives. These are messages that we can see just popping up on social media that may sound nice and like, believe in yourself, you got this, follow your dreams and you can achieve it. Or just other messages that we find by talking with friends or family that can feed into an idol of self. I recently read on social media a post by a woman who claims to be following Jesus and that this post was initially encouraging. She said, you made it to today and that is enough for now. You survived your worst days so far, every one of them. Be also kind to your precious heart, mind, and soul and body for getting this far. You're doing a beautiful job living this weird human life. And initially you're like, oh yeah, I like that, I'm encouraged by that. If we're not aware and discerning that, these messages have no hold of the gospel truths. There are distortions in gospels that can be pretty prevalent as far as the prosperity gospel, the moralistic gospel, the fundamentalist, just making Jesus to be a good person. But then the second umbrella, some of these gospels can become even more subtle. The church can give messages that can be slightly even twisted that you know Jesus won't give you more riches on earth, but do you think that because you believe in Jesus and follow him, you deserve to not have a life that's that hard, that you deserve to at least be happy? Or do you think that because you do all the right things for God and do all the right things for your kids that they should be saved and turn out to have a good life? Or do you think because you are believing in God and following him that your marriage should be better than this? We can fall into believing these distortions and thinking there's a still a way I can earn or approve God's love or a way that God owes me anything that is adding to the gospel and the hope that we have only in Christ or anything that is taking away from the depth of the grace that Jesus has given us and saying, yeah, but there's still something more you owe me, God, is a distortion of the gospel. And these are distortions because we're not standing in the grace of Christ. We're not holding on to the true gospel. So, I want to take a minute and have you think through how are you adding to, removing from, or not walking in the true gospel. And we'll do this now. There's a question on your paper. There's a spot that you can write. Ways you might be adding to, subtracting from, or not fully walking in the true grace of Christ. And then, right down next to it, this ultimately leads to death. It may be tempting to think, well, it's not that bad. Of course I... For me, it's... I should be doing these things. Yes, I should be doing devotions, but the minute that I think... I can earn more of God's love by doing these things. I'm placing hope in something else. Or the minute that we start thinking, 
that my security and my validation lies something other than being defined by who we are in Christ, that leads to death. That, as we sung, our hope is built on Jesus' blood and his righteousness. So let us not turn to these false gospels, but let us trust in the pure gospel of Christ, because that alone gives life. So the question we should all be asking is, how do we know Paul had the true gospel? This next section is Paul's first attempt to answer this question, but that isn't sufficient. Paul has been the next portion of the book, talk, the next portion, talking about why he's an apostle of the true apostle of the true gospel. And we'll see next week Paul going into how he was called and the significance of that and why he has this true gospel. So the question, am I seeking the approval of man or God, is getting at the heart of Paul's motivation. It wasn't to gain popularity here on earth, but to accomplish God's work in the world. It is thought that the people who were distorting the gospel were coming in and telling the Galatians that Paul wasn't giving the full gospel and that he really just wanted to win the, win the favor. That's why he wasn't being upfront with them about what they actually had to do. And Paul is saying, no, I was not, I'm not watering down the gospel. I'm not leaving anything out. I wouldn't have included myself in the verse 8 about being under a curse if I was trying to win your favor. He wants them to know that if he was actually trying to just gain more followers and their approval, he actually wouldn't be a servant of Christ. So Paul's question is a helpful motivation, a helpful measure of motivation for our own hearts. Are you not speaking up about the true gospel in order to gain others' approval or to avoid awkward, awkwardness or possible rejection? Or do you find yourself accepting a false gospel because of what others think? Or because it's easy just to like a post or heart something and see that somebody else likes it, so it must be okay? <coughs> or are you accepting a false gospel because of what it looks like it would bring? Believing something because it looks like it would bring success or happiness or gain? For this week, it is my prayer that we would heed Paul's warning that he gave to the Galatians that we would not turn to these false gospels, that we would be able to trust in the pure gospel of Christ, which alone gives life. And how do we do this? We need to continue to remember and rehearse the gospel. We need it daily. When we find something that doesn't seem off, to align it back to scripture. We need to use the word to fight the false gospels that she wrote down and anything else that may come up that sounds off to align it back to what we know is true found in the word. And we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate the motivations of our heart and what a false gospel might be and to pray for boldness to be able to share this true gospel. Maybe today you realize that you didn't you thought you were believing the full gospel, but realize that you were believing more of a, of a false gospel. And if you're unsure if you're believing this true gospel, I encourage you to talk with a friend, to be able to talk with a discussion group leader, or I'd love to talk afterwards and be able to share more of this true gospel, and that you would receive and walk in the grace that Jesus has died to give you. And it's only by the grace that he supplies that we can believe this. 
So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the work that you've done on the cross in saving us. I thank you that as we sing, our hope is built on nothing less than your blood and righteousness. You are our solid rock. We continue to stand on you and your truth because all other ground is sinking sand. Everything else leads to death. But there is only life found in the true gospel. I thank you for the ways that we have your word to continue to discern truth from error. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to open our eyes and ears this week, that we would continue to spot these false gospels, and that we would continue to have courage and boldness to speak up when we see it, to be able to share the true gospel, that we would continue to seek your approval alone and not man's, and that we would truly grow in just treasuring and trusting the gospel and knowing that it changes everything, that our security and our validation and who we are is found only in you, Jesus, not what we do. So I thank you for this time to be able to study your word and hold fast to these truths. We need your help, Holy Spirit. So do this, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.